Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. We're going to begin in the middle of that chapter, and we've got a, a number of uh, verses to, to look at today. And so we're going to do this a little bit differently as uh, I, I kind of walk us through uh, these verses uh, verse by verse. But before we get to the, the passage for today, I want to, again, put this into uh, context. These are absolutely some of the last words that Jesus directly taught to his disciples uh, in, in terms of a teaching time. Now, when we get into chapter 17... Uh, we're going to see him praying out loud, and he will be continuing to instruct them, but here he is uh, continuing this, this discourse. Now, uh, just a reminder, when I say this discourse, this uh, block of teaching, it actually began back in chapter 13. And uh, so we have the, the first 12 chapters of John, John begins where? In the beginning. It goes all the way back to, to creation. And, and then we see uh, John the Baptist, we see Jesus' ministry, and uh, it's highlighted from John's perspective in uh, those next chapters, and then we have him coming to his last Passover, the, the Passover where he himself would actually fulfill Passover with his sacrifice. And so right before <clears throat> that, he's sitting there eating with his disciples, and he teaches them, he washes their feet, and he begins to tell them some things that is going to so disturb them that then he has to bring them comfort. What did he tell them? Well, he said, I'm going to go away, bad enough. And where I'm going, you can't come. What? We, we've walked away from everything for you. Walked around with you for these years. What do you mean by that? And then he said, not only that, one of you is going to betray me. And... One will deny me. So they were naturally in turmoil. And then we see in chapter 14, he begins that, that section. He didn't speak in chapters. Those are something we added later. But he begins that section by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. 
He knew how troubled their hearts were. And he says, in essence, in the next several chapters, yeah, I, I know your hearts are troubled, and I'm not going to soft pedal this. What you are about to go through is going to be difficult. And yet, there is a way you can face it head on and walk through it, walk through these difficulties without having a troubled heart. And so he spends those three chapters giving numerous reasons why they shouldn't have troubled hearts. And then we get to this particular passage, which, by the way, uh, when we get into chapter 17, that's where we will have his great prayer of intercession for his disciples and for us as his people. So this is leading us up to that. So we, we see a continued discussion among the disciples, uh, and in verse 16, Jesus basically explains the near future. This is, this is what is about to happen. Verse 16, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Now, it's most likely that uh, Jesus is speaking of what's going to happen uh, in the most immediate future. Some would say, no, it's talking about when he uh, comes back. But I, uh, in talking to them about comfort for their hearts, what they're, they're going to most need comfort in the next couple of days. And so here he, uh, he says, literally, I'm going to go away. And in going away, where'd he go? Well, he went to the grave, literally, to the grave, to the tomb. But then I'm going to come back. And, and so did he come back? Yes, he did. He walked out of the tomb, and then he taught them for some 40 days. So he gave them that comfort to know, look, this is what's going to happen. And yet there's uh, confusion among the disciples. Look at what they said, verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us? Now, it, it doesn't really explain, but I, I wonder, is, is Jesus standing there and he says this thing, and then they all just kind of turn at each other and say, what's he saying to us? I, I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't really say, but it's definitely recorded. What's he saying to us? A little while, and uh, you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will uh, see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Now, that's completely understandable. We know that he would be resurrected. We know that, that when he died, he'd go into the tomb and then he would walk out of that. We're looking back on that. But they didn't understand that at that point. It's understandable that they would be 
uh, confused. So then Jesus continues to uh, address it, and he gives a kind of an extended answer here, verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you'll, you'll not see me, and again a little while and you'll see me? So here Jesus is, is looking into their, to their heart and continue to prepare them for what they would soon face. And then he tells them, look, here's what it's going to be. It's going to be grief, but it'll be followed by joy. Verse 20, truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now, I, I was sharing this with the staff on, on Tuesday that I have, haven't really thought about this that much as, as much as I've, I've uh, taught about uh, what, what it must have been like for the, the disciples and uh, for them when Jesus died and, and the grief that they would experience and, and so on, what was going on in those uh, days. I hadn't really thought about what was going on with others that at the same time they were feeling loss and lost Others were rejoicing. Think about it. Who, who would be rejoicing? Well, one group would be the Jews that were uh, so bothered by him that it had confrontations with him. Finally, he's getting what he deserved and seeing him crucified. So they might have been rejoicing at the very same time the disciples were grieving. The Romans, now I don't think they cared that much about him or his teachings one way or the other, except that they didn't like that people were stirred up wherever he went. So there was probably relief and, oh good, that problem is settled. And then of course, there had to be great rejoicing with Satan and his army. Imagine. They thought they had won. Surely there was rejoicing among all of them. And Jesus just brings this in to the disciples. Look, I know what you're going to be going through, but you need to know that the world around you, they're going to all be happy about this. He says, uh, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21. And, and I, I, I got to just tell you when we, <laughs> before I read this verse, there's going to be some of you that aren't going to like this verse. I, I'll just tell you. Let me read it to you, and then you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but 
I'll see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I've probably had more godly women during my ministry say, oh no, that, 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 that doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and okay, I get it in terms of totally forgetting and so on. Um, don't miss his point here. Don't get distracted in that way. What, he, what he's saying is that that not that you, you forget it to, to where you, you don't remember that the, the pain happened, but you're so overwhelmed with the joy that it diminishes what you've been through. And so if you're still um, troubled by that, I'll just say, I'm going to go with Jesus on this one, Okay. <laughs> This is, a, this is not a new image. Uh, back in Jeremiah 31, we, we have a similar image. And so they would have understood that. They would have said, okay, um, something, something amazing is coming that as bad as what we go through, what we're about to go through, something better is going to overshadow that. And that's what he's saying here. Now, right in the middle of this, uh, this, this time of teaching, he goes back to teach them about prayer. He keeps going in and out uh, in talking about comfort for his disciples and, and touching on prayer and then going to other areas and then going back and speaking of prayer. And here he's giving actually some some. Uh, new things. Some of it's repetitive. And I think repetition is always good in teaching generally, uh, but especially when people are so upset that they may not have heard it or got it the first time around. And so there's some repetition here, but then he brings in some more things about prayer. He says in verse 23, in that day you'll ask nothing of me. Now what he's saying is uh, in that day, He's likely speaking of when the Holy Spirit is sent. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it would be after Jesus' death, after the resurrection, after 40 days of uh, him teaching them, appearing to them, and so on, and after the ascension into heaven, then the Holy Spirit would be sent. And I, I'm, I'm convinced what he's saying is that when the Holy Spirit comes, these things are finally going to come together. They're going to make sense for you. These things that may seem disjointed and may seem like, like everything's fallen apart. All this teaching that I've given you through my ministry. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, we've, we've talked about this in previous sermons, the idea of uh, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Just a reminder, though, that's not a magical incantation. That's not, uh, okay, as long as I end my prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, then he has to give it to me or anything like that. Um, but rather, this is talking about uh, belief and trust in him. 
for salvation. And when you have that relationship, then you can go to the Father. So he's not talking about the world in general, that anybody out there, doesn't matter whether you, you, you know Jesus or not, just say a prayer and say in Jesus' name and you got it. That's not it at all. He's talking about a relationship here. In verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. And that's, that's an, an, another thing that he's teaching here that he hadn't really spoken of. Jesus is teaching that, that our joy is not just in, in God answering our prayers the way we want them to be answered, but our, our joy is in the prayer itself and getting God's answer to prayer even when it's not the one we desired ourselves. Why is that joy? Because it's going to be the right answer. It's always going to be the right answer. And so that's where our joy is. And now he's teaching them, and in the past, uh, they'd go to Jesus with requests. He's saying, now I want you to go to the Father. And so here he's beginning to flesh out when he, uh, you know, the passage that we often call the Lord's Prayer. I think John 17 is really the, the Lord's Prayer, but he, we often call and uh, recite our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. That's, that's the pattern prayer that he gave to his disciples. And he taught them to start with our Father, you who are in heaven. And now he's explaining more. He's, he's fleshing that out, how you're going to go to the Father. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So here he's talking about after the resurrection and before the ascension when Jesus would teach them for some 40 days. And uh, then he goes into some teaching about the Father. Verse 26, in that day you'll ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Now that's, that sounds kind of mysterious there. Um, what he is saying and trying to get across to his disciples is, look, you have access to the Father. I don't have to, this is Jesus speaking, I don't have to convince the Father to listen to you. It's not up to me to do that. Why? Because of the next phrase, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you. You see what he's saying? It's, it's not just about me being in there. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. So he's, he's showing them that it was the, the Father's love, and we need to know this, that, that actually sent Jesus in the first place. And he's already shown his great love. And that leads us to the doctrine of the incarnation. 
And what a great introduction for Advent that will start in two weeks. And we, we focus on the incarnation. Look what he says, verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So, uh, one commentator called that the executive summary of Jesus' ministry. In other words, that, that's what happened. I came from the Father, have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Um, so what is the incarnation then? Easiest way to remember. That's the theological term we use. Incarne, In the flesh. So it is God in the flesh. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, you know, that's where I came from. That's where I'm going. When God takes on flesh. And here is Jesus closing in on the end of his ministry. Look at verse 29. His disciples said, and now you're speaking plainly and and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And then Jesus says, uh, answered, do you now believe? In your community groups, I'm encouraging you to talk about, so what was the turning point? What was the tipping point where they say, okay, now we believe? So think that through. But here's the thing. Even though they believe and they, they are professing we believe, within hours, they wouldn't be saying that. They wouldn't be saying that to anyone because of what was going on. He, he tells them that. Verse 32, behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. So here's here's the ultimate encouragement to them. He's telling them what's going to happen. And it will. We, we know what happened when, uh, you know, after the garden, how they, they scattered. Peter is caught and denies three times. We don't hear what happens with the others, but that doesn't mean they didn't also deny. They at least ran and scattered. Surely there, there would be, be guilt. He's telling them, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be scattered and you're going to feel like you have failed me. You're going you're gonna to feel bad about that. Because here you're professing that you believe I am who I say I am. 
and you're going to forsake me. And to you, it's going to look like I'm all alone. But here's what he teaches them. Again, this is all for comfort for their heart. He said, it's going to look like I'm all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. It will look like there's nobody around, but even when that happens, the Father is with me. Now that should be comfort for them. It should be comfort for us as well. That there may be times in your life, and and you may be in one of those times right now, where you feel like, I'm all alone in this. There's no help from anyone else. And Jesus says, look, when it looks like that, the Father's still there. Now, he's talked about the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's the presence in believers. So, on the heels of that, he says, I've said these things to you, that in me... You may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I want you first to notice the promise. This is a promise, and if you're uh, a a believer today, this is a promise for you. And if you're an unbeliever, this is a promise for you as well. You may be thinking, wait a minute, how's that work? Well, you may not be thinking of the same promise I am. There's one promise in this. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's the promise. And you know what? That's the promise for unbelievers as well. Everyone in this world, in this fallen world, where sin has taken its toll on the world down through the centuries, and as long as you live in this world, he says, you're going to have tribulation. So if we're all going to have tribulation, whether I'm a believer or an unbeliever, what what good does it do to know Jesus? Well, that's why he says, you may have peace. He's not saying that to the unbeliever. They may, if they trust in Jesus alone for their eternal life. But if you don't, 
The only promise you're getting is you're going to have tribulation. So here is, is Jesus making this promise. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't give some kind of a health and wealth gospel where he says, look, you follow me and everything's going to be fine. That wouldn't have been true. He is divinely honest with us. If you follow me, you're going to have troubles and tribulations in this world. So he promises tribulation, but right in the middle of that, he says, you can have peace. How? Well, amazingly, Jesus says uh, this not after the resurrection, not at the ascension. He makes this statement, take heart, I've overcome the world. He makes that statement right before he's about to be arrested and tried unjustly and tortured and killed on the cross and put in the tomb. Right before all that, he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. What part of that is overcoming the world? All of it. Every bit of what I just said was the plan all along. And that was his plan with the Father. That he would come into this world and the way of overcoming it was to live this perfect life that was demanded to have a relationship with a holy God, but that none of us could live. To live that perfect life and then to go to the cross and die in the place of those who would trust him alone for eternal life. That was the plan. When the punishment should have been poured out on us, he stepped in front of us and went to the cross. Because he was perfect, the perfect God-man. His death paid for all of the sin of all of his people for all time. That's how worthy he is. So here's the point. Whatever's going on in your life, and some of you are in tribulation now. I know that. Whether you're fighting disease 
or age or infirmity or broken relationships or loss or sadness or grief or loneliness whatever it is whatever tribulation you're facing if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life you can know right in the middle of this I have peace with God because of what Christ has done and he is with you and that's the ultimate peace it's the only lasting peace and our world will not understand it but you can have it let's bow together Lord, thank you for being so honest with us that we, we know that as long as we're in this world, we will have tribulation. And will you cause that to give us a holy longing for your coming and for that next world? But while we're here, Lord, will you help us to know that we can have peace in you? In Jesus Christ, we thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.